0: This week on Myths and Legends, it's the story of Chong Torong, and in it we learn that a sleepover is not an invitation to move in, and also that maps are helpful, even if you're working with a magic mountain. Then, on the Creature of the Week, it's a creature that's a hoax, or is the hoax a hoax, meaning that there are actual sea monsters in upstate New York. This is Myths and Legends, Episode 315, Mountain Magic. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories that you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that you might not have heard, but really should. Today's story comes from Korean folklore, set in the early 1500s, and we open on the street in the bustling city of Seoul. Jongno, or Bell Street as it was known, came to life before dawn. More to life, some argued, seeing as how the east west strip in southern Seoul never slept. Either way, by the time the sunlight trickled onto the stones, clusters of servants and attendants of the wealthy and important already filled the square around a steady flow of people. And also, he was among them. No employer, no boss, no home. A friend to all the workers, it seemed he called himself Chong, and through smiles and laughter. The others added, Torong, a person, a son, not a man, not a husband. He was defined by what he wasn't. I mean, he did look the part, flowing hair streaming down to his back that whipped in the wind, the appearance of a bachelor, a bachelor in his forties, who slept on the side of a building. There was a harshness to his features, made worse by the smudges of grime across his cheeks, caked onto his brows, and packed beneath his nails. The people who passed that gave him a wide berth sneered. That was why he didn't have a family. All that was known was that he was dirty, always dirty, and with a scratchy bag draped over one shoulder. The open end cinched between his fingers. Chong Turong was a beggar, a man with a backstory... Everyone filled in with the failures and foibles that they would surely never fall victim to, but also a backstory no one knew. Through and beyond Soul, he trudged with a sack, stopping in this neighborhood or that one, bowing in acceptance of any meager provisions others might toss spare. His presence became as familiar and as constant as that rising sun. At night, he always returned to the city to prop himself against one of the gates along the road and rest before repeating his routine in the morning. No matter where he went for the day, he always began on Bell Street, chumming with the servants and attendants. In a way, they had become friends. Then, one day, when U Uchi collapsed in front of the man, everyone was worried. People rushed to him. Should, should they call a doctor? Did magicians like Chan Uchi use doctors or was there like a professional feud there you would think he'd have like a life alert talisman oh good he's moving okay Whew. he was rising up to his hands and knees to bow to bow to Chan Torong the people around relieved that you know the magician wasn't dead laughed they didn't know the magician was funny bowing to that guy okay alright you got me he was a good actor, too. His hands were trembling, his lips were quivering. It was like he was actually in awe of the man. Like a child who just found something that made people laugh, Chan Uchi, the magician, was determined to beat this joke absolutely to death. Every time he passed Chung Toorong in the street, he bowed, never turning his back to the beggar. Then Chung Toorong seemingly never let it go to his head. Maybe he had been in dire straits for most of his life and, as the object of derision, didn't want to make another feel like that. Maybe he couldn't eat praise and had to beg to survive that day. Whatever it was, Chung would pass with a, hello, how are you? Without slowing or looking, yes, hello, hello. Very well, sir, thank you, I am well. The magician's words came out muffled as he spoke his lips grazing the dirt, still not looking, still not raising his face. Not an act, but fear, respect. Chan Uchi, the magician, was an odd duck, to put it nicely. So, after the fourth week, the servants on Bell Street waved him off and tried to ignore his antics, which he continued. Even on days when Chang Torong, and his scratchy bag seemed neither to slow or notice him at all. On one particular morning, however, after Chong had left the square, Chan Uchi, the magician, leapt onto a wooden crate and addressed the crowded street. Okay, real talk time. He knew what they thought of him. The man closest to him asked how he could tell. Was it the laughing and them telling him exactly what they thought of him? Laugh all you want, but only those with real wisdom knew the truth. He tapped his temple so hard he winced. The challenge was to see it. Could no one else see that Chong Torong was special? Servants and attendants and a few lingering passers-by began to nod. Okay, this was unexpected. They'll bite. The magician held up three fingers. One, two, three. Three spirit men in their area right? They had heard those, yeah? Well, the greatest of the trio, oh, 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 Chong Torong, a servant guest from the crowd, his hand waving in the air, that felt like something people would do in school. He had always wanted to go to school. Yes, exactly, Chong Torong. Now you see why I show respect. Apparently, they did not. Spirit men? These names the magician pulled out of a hat? He really was just practicing an act, and Not a very good one. Name drop much? The servants in attendance peeled out of the town square, heading to do their employer's bidding for the day. And the magician finally shuffled the other way. And yet, someone remained. Taken by what he had seen, by what he had observed, from the steps of his home for a few weeks now. He was not a servant, not a magician, but an undergrad. A literary one to boot. So he was on the cusp of that illustrious career that all literary majors knew would absolutely one day be theirs. But wait, Chong Torong, according to this guy, was a scholar, the undergrad realized, as in used to be. Not the is type of was. <gasps> what if Chong Torong had been a literary major and ended up, well, the undergrad would just have to ask Chong about his story the next time he saw him. Yeah, that was what he would do. The next day, the undergrad made his move, and he could not have been more surprised. The scholar, yes, but before that, Chong Torong had been in a respectable family in the Chulla province, A turn of fortune can come for anyone, though. And the same people that celebrate with you might not be the ones to dry your eyes. When he was still in school, typhus fever claimed both of his parents, and with no siblings or other relatives that he knew of, he had found himself utterly alone. He had no practical skills. His parents had worked hard to be able to afford school for him, and left him nothing. The debtors came for his house, And the people, well, the people of the village saw him as cursed. He left in the night. I began to beg, he explained. That was how I made it here, to Seoul. The undergrad thought of his own life. He, too, was the only son of a tiny family. He was the only child to have survived. And he was his parents' pride, but if they left him... It wasn't Chung's fault that he was here. The undergrad bowed and stepped aside with the sweep of his hand. His home, his apartment, a place for Chung to rest for a moment, to eat and drink and be refreshed. For the next hour, they chatted and relaxed. For the next year, Chung accepted invitations from the undergrad to join any and every celebration that happened in the young man's home. The year after that, it was the same. Then for several years thereafter. Then one day the invitation went unanswered. Not a no in the case of other plans or not wanting to impose, just nothing. Because Chong Torong did not mingle with the servants and attendants out front or pass by the front step. There was no invitation to make because he was not there. Any number of reasons might explain this absence. And the young man hoped it was due to kindness. I mean, perhaps another host in some other city had invited Chong inside to rest his weary back or Given him a path back to society. I will hear about his adventures when he returns, the undergrad told himself. Except by now, he was a master, a true scholar. Perhaps I will see Chung tomorrow. And he went to work for the day. The scholar was partially right. Chung Torong did return, but he no longer carried a bag over his shoulder no longer smiled or joked with the servants outside. If the scholar had not decided to get an early start to work that day, he would have missed his old friend altogether. The sight from atop his horse was fleeting, but unmistakable. Chung Torong lay on a stretcher, hefted by four others. By the looks of it, they were taking him to the water gate. The man's face looked peaceful, but cold and he did not look over when the young man called. There was an emptiness the scholar knew could mean only one thing. He's gone. Five, ten, fingers sprouted from the scholar's fists, then disappeared and sprouted again. Fifteen, really, fifteen? Chang T'orong had begged up and down the street, talking and laughing for fifteen years. He became friend to countless people there, it became the sight everyone saw when they started their day, and. Now this, a body on a stretcher whisked away to lie unmourned in an unmarked grave. He looked across the faces streaming up and down Bell Street. that Truly, no one else seemed to care. No one else seemed to even notice. No one, not even the young scholar, could do anything about it. His friend was gone and he hadn't even been able to say goodbye. We'll take a big step forward in time. But that will be right after this.
1: Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at microsoft.com slash AI for Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university,
0: is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. Oh,
1: oh, oh, O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need.
0: A lot can happen in 20 years, and it did. When the assignment came, the scholar clasped his hands together and bowed. Yes, he would pack and go immediately. He was used to traveling these days anyway. South Chola province, however, was new to him. And the journey felt fresh and exhilarating, and for some reason, that name sounded familiar. The whole trip reminded him of his early years as an undergrad, when he was making things happen, not maintaining the status quo. In his confidence, he had set off on his trip alone. There were perks to traveling alone, like he could sing whatever he wanted and not annoy anyone else. He could stop for breaks and go at the pace he liked. He'd get lost and have no one else to blame but himself. Wait. That last one was not a perk, he said to himself, because, again, he was alone. The scholar shifted his weight, and his horse pawed the dirt. They had been standing idle for too long again. This clump of trees, he... Had he seen these before? The forest was full of a lot of trees, it turned out. The scholar was an avid indoorsman. He looked at the forking path ahead and felt inclined to go left, but because he had probably been here recently before and thought the same exact thing, he turned right. It put the mountains on his left, which felt correct at the beginning, before an all-too-familiar rock formation appeared around the next corner and... uh, Seriously, in time, sunlight began to dwindle and the scholar slowed to a final halt. The mountains had somehow ended up on his right side now, and the late realization made his heart sink. He had been going in a massive circle. Fantastic. He would have to wait out the night before moving again. Which, surprise camping trips? Not the best type of camping trips. That was when he noticed a worn footpath winding through a part of the grass. With all the trees, woodcutters and other workers probably frequented this area. That was probably one of the paths they took. So at the end of it, there might be a village full of people who could tell the scholar which way to go. It made total sense, and since it was the only way he could see to get out of the circle, he turned his horse and headed off down the narrow trail. Grasses brushed against his feet for a while. But then the path grew rocky, and his horse began to stumble. He patted his mare's shoulder and returned to his thoughts. He was trying to make a mental log of his journey, but then he noticed the path was soft and loamy, no longer dusty or treacherous with rocks and roots to navigate, but carpeted with emerald moss. The grass flanking the path was shorter than before, but fanned and swayed in an array of greens and blues and purples that seemed to change as they bent. Even the trees were different, more pine-like, but not close to anything he had seen before. He was 100% absolutely lost now, and he had no idea how he arrived there, and yet, it was a wonderful sight. The sound of hooves brought a flutter to his chest. There were people here, and he remembered why he went down this trail. People. There might be people who would give him directions. People that turned out to be one man, dressed in deep forest greens. Okay, he could work with that, He moved his horse off the path to give the man some room. The man's fabrics shimmered and glittered, though neither word truly captured the presence of his garb. Ethereal was how it was described in the text. Surely he was somebody important, but who? What noble, what lord could look so fresh out in the middle of wherever this was? How wonderful to see you after all this time the gentleman greeted with open arms. Come, I live nearby. You can be my guest. The young scholar only blinked. He did not recognize this person. This person who seemed to already know him. Attendants emerged in a pair of columns from behind the noble's horse, beckoning the visitor down from his mount, with voices full as a choir, which... There's rich, and there's choir guys singing to you as you park your car, rich. So, you know. On foot, the scholar followed the man in green, who was now also on the ground. But while the gentleman seemed to float, the hem of his robes barely grazing the ground, the scholar huffed and half-jogged just to keep up. After about a mile, they turned a corner, and the young man stopped in his tracks. His host lived in a mansion, a, a palace, wide and long, the castle soared with a roof stretching into the sky. Okay, sure, why not? The green man lived in a castle. I must leave you now, the gentleman chuckled. My attendants will see you inside. On cue, the front doors eased open and two more columns of attendants flowed out with inviting arms. They waited as the scholar climbed the front stairs, then let him pass room upon room. On the second floor, they followed the sound of laughter to a large room with lots of seating. Inside, children played, and even more attendants scurried around the room. And there, in the center, sat the host. The man from the woods, now dressed in shining gold. His face and his robes seemed to glow. In fact, everything about the palace and land glowed. The scholar knew, at that moment, that he was no longer on earth. In a panic, he fell onto his face, pressing his forehead onto the floor, he did not dare to look up, even when the host's warm voice fell softly on his shoulders. Did, he didn't seem familiar? Did the scholar not know whose house this was? Hey, look up, it's me. It's, I promise it's okay. Slowly, the scholar peeked from the floor, but he still did not recognize his host. I am Chong Torong. The words hung in the air as the young scholar looked, but couldn't see it. He saw only the gentleman from the woods the flow of his golden robes, the the scholar's brow knit together in the center, and he rolled his face sideways. The man in gold lifted both hands and curled his fingers, as though gripping a bag over one shoulder. No mud smeared across his clean face, but the features were becoming familiar, overcoming the decades that stood between them. This world felt like heaven. It was beautiful. Foods he had never tried and foods he had always loved filled the many plates before him without end. Together, Chong and the scholar feasted while creatures with faces as radiant as precious gems played instruments and danced along the edges of the hall. Then, as the hour grew late, the host grew solemn and misty-eyed. Truth is, he shared, I am a genie. Four mountains, Chung said. There were four mountains where the genie lived. And one of those was the hill the scholar had been circling for hours. The scholar sat back, so it was magical. It wasn't just me. <sighs> Getting lost? No, that was completely you, Chung laughed. Then he grew serious again. For his time on Earth, Chong Torong had found himself in exile. That was why he was on Earth. It was entirely his fault he was not going to go into it or give any other details. But his eyes glistened. You were kind to me on Earth. And I never forgot. The scholar hung his head. He had wished many times that he had been able to say goodbye. The image of Chong lying dead on a stretcher was one he never forgot. Oh, I was not dead, the genie explained. I mean, yes, I was completely dead. But it was a good day, a joyous day. My exile in your world was over. It was time to come home. Chung rose and looked out on the heavenly mountains. It had been, what, 20 years? He heard that the scholar would be in the area and begged with those above him to make the visit happen. The meeting of the worlds, it, it wasn't a normal occurrence. It was the scholar's kindness. In his days on earth, the scholar was Chung's only friend, Well, that and the weird magician guy. You know, that guy almost blew his cover. It was like Witness Protection or The Matrix. He'd have to be reinserted back into a different town and be a whole thing. Anyway, that's a digression. He raised a cup. And at his cue, the music and laughter resumed. For several more hours, they continued feasting and enjoying each other's company. Neither full nor hungry, thirsty nor bursting at the seams, this was a place to just be and the scholar basked in that amazement. That evening, the attendants led him down a staircase, through a courtyard, and into a flourishing garden. At the center stood a large pavilion with windows made of jade, outlined in jewels beneath a soft purple sky. It was night, but not dark. The scholar should be tired, but he wasn't. Instead, quote, his body was so rested, and his soul so refreshed, that he felt no need of sleep. And so he lounged inside the pavilion, not sleeping, but soaking in a peace that he had never experienced before. No deadlines, no stress. He sighed and settled deeper into the pillows. He never wanted to leave. we'll see that everything must end, even time in heaven. But that will, once again, be right after this.
1: Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly, it's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all.
0: When the morning came, the sun melted from purple to pink and then to the faintest seafoam green as the scholar followed the attendants back inside. This time they settled into a hall on the first floor with an even bigger table already laden with the feast. At the head of the table sat the genie, this time dressed in silver. Midway through the meal, Chong Torong broke the news. It was never the right time to share this sort of thing, but given the scholar's excitement and the question of what shall we do tomorrow, it was better to just rip off the proverbial band-aid. Besides, he couldn't risk breaking any rules and risking exile a second time. I mean, I mean, compared to a Chinese story like The Monkey King, where celestial beings get cast down to Earth to become monsters and eat people, in the story from the Korean Peninsula, where the guy would just have to sit in time out for 20 years as a beggar, comparatively not bad, but not something that Chong Torong wanted to repeat. He shuddered. Earth, am I right? But goodbye? Why do we have to say goodbye? The scholar felt what he thought was a sadness, but even this, and this heavenly place, was a softer feeling than on earth. You're sure I can't stay. Chung Torong understood, really, he did. But this place was not meant for human people to dwell in for too long. The scholar was different from most, kind, if anyone deserved to be in this place, it was him, but even he couldn't bear it. One day he might understand. Chung smiled at least we get to say goodbye this time," he offered at last. Yes, at least they had that. Another hour passed and the mood lifted, and then the time came for the scholar to return to Earth. He bowed low and thanked the genie for his hospitality. Perhaps next time we could... Chung stopped him. He didn't want to hurt his friend, but he wouldn't give his friend hope when there wasn't any. This wouldn't be happening again. It wasn't up to him. He treasured the scholar's friendship, but he should know that the worlds were separate and the ones above him had made an exception that wouldn't last long. The scholar didn't know what to say, even as Chong Torong hugged his shoulders and told him to take care and go in peace. Attendants lined the path to guide the visitor out, and in the end, the scholar turned and waved goodbye to his old friend. After two more steps, he turned again but this time, there was no one there. No line of attendants, no palace in the distance, or bristly pines or grasses that changed color in the wind. Already, his time with Chong Torong was turning into a memory. The scholar, alone, wept. He fell on his knees, grasping at clumps of grass. Digging his fingers into the dusty trail as he wailed, an idea came for him. And the scholar rose, finding his horse there, He took the walking stick off the horse and drove it into the earth beside the path. This was where he left the world of the genie. Maybe it would work again. Maybe, Chong Torong would find a way. In one year's time, the scholar retraced the steps all the way to the stick he left in the ground. At least, he tried to. The path he remembered was too overgrown to find. And as he wandered around the mountains as he did before, he listened for the march of hooves, but they never came. No chong, no old friend, no reconnecting of their worlds. I have never stopped looking, the scholar said. And when he lifted his chin, his students leaned forward, hoping for more. The master's class was always full, and though the scholar was 90 years old, the undergrad spoke of his young spirit, his kindness, and the spark that he carried. In many ways, time had made him more youthful, more spry. His face seemed to glow as he shared about Chong, about a strange world with never-ending feasts and pavilions made out of jade and gems. A place where cares of this world fell away, and only joy and peace existed. On this particular day of teaching, the scholar had noticed someone new in the back of the room. The student's features seemed familiar, the more the scholar looked, and the way he picked up his bag and slung it over one shoulder brought a catch to his throat. At the end of class, the scholar hurried to speak with the young man in the green coat, but his other students flooded around him with a sea of questions. The scholar wobbled on the tips of his toes, eyes darting over the crowd, but it seemed the student had left. How will you know if you ever see Chung Korong again? Another student asked, and the clamoring fell still. All the students huddled in tight, everyone wanting to know the answer, wanting to know how to recognize Chung as well. The scholar's eyes grew distant before he smiled. He had seen Chung for 15 years, and yet even he had missed the most obvious sign. He never aged, the scholar told them. His face was always dirty, but... In the same way, his clothes never wore out, though he never changed. I saw him for over a decade, and yet, even me, even his best friend, did not truly see him. Murmurs pulsed through the class, and many of the students nodded, soaking in their teacher's words. Thank you, master, they said in unison, and bowed. They trickled from the room like sand from an hourglass, and when it was empty, the scholar sighed. His shoulders sank a little, and he remembered that it was about time. In one week, he would make the trek back to the mountain, and he would circle the round path around the foothills, the ones he knew better than his own home at this point, and the one many of his students had walked by now, and he would wonder if he would see his old friend again. Good night, a fellow scholar called from the doorway. She dipped her chin in and continued on, and the scholar turned to gather his things and he nearly toppled over. Oh, excuse me, he burst. I am so... Then he stopped. This was not a lingering student he had bumped into, nor was this the familiar figure from the back of the class, the one with the green coat who left before the scholar could connect. This was someone else entirely. May I help you, the scholar offered. And for a moment, the pair stood looking at one another in silence. Then... A smile spread across the other's face. The stranger waited. Waited for the scholar to look at his walking stick. The scholar grew serious and then had to sit down, wait. Where did the stranger get that? That looked like, still, no words. But in the air, the faintest sound of hooves. Not clomping through the halls of the building, but soft and gentle as though padding on moss through the woods. The sound grew louder, and the view brighter and warm and familiar, and then... In the morning, the scholar's colleagues would greet him from the door. They would pause and repeat themselves, and enter, only to grasp at the realization. The scholar did not kneel behind the table with his face lowered on his notes, in thought or in sleep, but in having passed in the night. 90 years old, and he left softly, peacefully, and with a smile across his face. Today's story doesn't tell us where the scholar ends up after he passes. Does he see Chong again? Does he not? In the original, there's no mention of the attendant or the horse hooves in those final moments, but it does say that he passed peacefully at 90 years old. Regardless, there are some good reminders in here, namely that we should be kind to others, and also to always look for the person and their story beneath appearances. What I liked about this story was that, even though the story doesn't try to hide that Chong is special, it didn't take away from the reveal for me. I like how, on this podcast, we can tell stories that are short tales about kindness, acceptance, and moving on after loss, alongside, well, Zeus being Zeus, homicidal mermaids, and Viking blood feuds. We found this story kind of quietly moving, and we hope you enjoyed it too. Next week is a classic fairy tale that involves murder fairies, dragons, mythological dwarves, and a kingdom of cats. In case you thought we were getting too lofty in our themes. After that, it's back to the Monkey King. And then, the first week of next month, it's the story of Hephaestus. Uh, Hephaestus, according to the pronunciation aids on the internet, or Hephaestus, according to everyone who reached out after I said Hephaestus on last week's episode. If you'd like to support the show and enjoy ad free episodes and bonus stories, there are two ways to do that. One, there's a membership thing on the site. And two, Apple Podcast users can try Myths and Legends Plus straight through the app. But either way, for less than the price of cat paw cooking tongs, you can listen to ad-free episodes of the show, and bonus episodes that, sadly, won't let you tell guests that you toss the salad with cat feet. For more info on the membership, check out mythpodcast.com slash membership. The creature this time is the Silver Lake Serpent, from upstate New York in the United States. It's July 13th, 1855. Seven people, five men and two boys, row out at night on the lake to fish. They're out there for a bit when they spot a log, floating. Except, it's not floating, it's swimming right for them. And it's not a log, it's a serpent. The men scream as the serpent rears from the water and flaps its fin in warning. It fills their vision, and there's no denying what they see. Silver Lake has a monster lurking in its depths. The men row back to shore as quickly as they can, throwing open the door to a nearby hotel, and yelling for the patrons at the bar and the diners. The serpent, there's a serpent in the lake. The people file outside, but the serpent is gone. It fled back underwater. I wouldn't say no one believed the people who claimed they saw it, but they were skeptical. The people's stories, though, matched. They even signed sworn affidavits. Still, a bunch of men seeing something in the dark does not a monster make. But what if it's a family out on a boat ride? Or a fisherman on the shore? Or an entire hotel that sees the monster from the distance? Because, well, that's what happened. Soon, it was an indisputable fact. A massive serpent lurked in Silver Lake. Digging into the lore of the region, the people discovered a Seneca legend, that a large, slug-like monster lived in the lake and would rise to the surface. For almost two years, the town and the region was agog at news of the monster. People packed inns, hotels, and bars. They apparently walked the coastline with harpoons. They would go on hunts, but the monster always fled before they were able to kill it. They wondered where it came from. Had it always been there, hiding? or had the trains and the commotion of the modern world awakened the legend from its long slumber? How many more creatures lurked in the deep? They found the answer to at least one of those questions in 1857, but the answer was not in the lake, it was on land, in a hotel actually. One day, a fire broke out in the Walker Hotel, one of the establishments that had seen its business boom after the appearance of the monster in 55. Reports differ as to exactly where it was found, but firefighters did find a partially burned canvas and wire frame, perfectly shaped like the serpent everyone had been seeing for months. When it was dragged into the light, it was obvious. A 60-foot canvas monster, yellow-green with red eyes and a gaping mouth. It was made of waterproof canvas and was sunk into the lake with weights. Connected to a hose that led back to a blacksmith's bellows, the owner of the hotel would inflate the monster, so it rose above the water. When they were finished with their show, they let the air out and sunk the beast to the bottom, and served drinks and food to all the gawkers, before dragging it back in the early hours of the morning. Artemis Walker, the hotel owner, admitted as much with a laugh, saying that he did it to bring business to his sleepy hotel. We don't know what happened to Walker, but the Silver Lake monster lives on as a mascot for the town of Perry. While the monster might not be real, it is kind of cursed? There are festivals celebrating the monster, but at one, in 1962, the building storing the papier-mâché version of the monster the Junior Chamber of Commerce built burned to the ground. So did the building holding the fake monster in 1978. And 1980. They put the festival on hold after that, rekindling it, huh, in 2020. That time, though, they burned the monster on purpose. Better safe than sorry. A strange footnote to this whole thing, though, and I linked it on the site, the hoax of the Silver Lake Serpent might itself be a hoax. A skeptic newspaper published in 1999 said that while there was a frenzy of sightings in 1855 and 56, in the 20 years that follow, only one mention is made of Walker and his contraption. And I did a newspaper search of this myself with the databases we use for Scoundrel. And yeah, It isn't until 1915 that a local historian tells the whole story. And the Skeptic newspaper notes that the farther away you get from the actual events of 1855 and 56, the more details emerge about the creature. So yeah, I think the only conclusion we can draw from the Skeptic newspaper is that sea serpents do absolutely exist in upstate New York, which I can imagine, which I can imagine was exactly the Skeptic newspaper's intention. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Colmes. There are links to other music we used in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.